Hello and welcome to the Blue Pea Leader podcast. And I'm your host and the founder of Blue Pea Pod, Ruth Sanderson. If you want to become a leader of an organization where people feel alive and fully contribute, one that really understands who you are, lets you contribute your talents, live your purpose and make a difference. Listen in now as we share the latest practical ideas and techniques to experience authentic success through leadership. Welcome to the Blue P Leader podcast. And in this episode, I'm going to be joined by Emily Foster, who is um, the APAC media leader for Colgate at WPP. And she's also a diversity and inclusion leader. And that's why I've invited her on the podcast today to share her thoughts, her passion, her experience in the arena of diversity and inclusion. But before we get into the subject in its lovely, meaty detail, Emily, welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you for welcoming me. So what is it that you would, um, would you like to share a little bit more about yourself and your background? I'm sure you do way more justice than I would. Sure, thank you so much. So I have spent over 20 years in the advertising and media industry and uh, over the last 10 years at WPP. And throughout my career, I've been also very heavily involved in diversity and inclusion efforts within the organizations that I've worked for. And of course, over the last few years, uh, even more heavily involved as a sort of activist at a local and grassroots level, but also as a leader that needs to drive through initiatives across parts of the organization and across various different countries and regions. So it's a topic that I am very excited about that's close to my heart as well. I am of a mixed race background. I was growing, I grew up in Hong Kong and I also do not look like I am mixed race, which puts me in a really interesting position as well um, in terms of my self-awareness. I am very white looking, but I'm actually half Filipino. So without really knowing it, I've sort of grown up with that heightened sense of awareness and a kind of understanding of intersectionality, which is a big word that's going around at the moment in this area. So yes, that's me. I do loads of different things and I'm excited to talk to you about it in this session. So I, uh, I know that you've, you've lived in various different parts of the world. And as you say, it's um, probably the fact that you have had that pleasure. Um, you have had got a greater, not just because of your family, but you have a greater appreciation of those, the nuances and the differences in terms of what makes us so, so diverse. But then at times what can actually end up separating us in a way that it shouldn't separate us. Yes, I do have quite a lot of understanding of that by dint of not just my upbringing, but also in the environments that I work in. Mm. I'm currently based in Hong Kong and I have worked on clients from around the world. And it's really interesting when you work on clients that come from different places that may be communicating to global audiences in different different markets and countries and different people, that when you 
it's really interesting to see the how your understanding of culture um, can drive the way that we think, the way that we communicate with people, but also how we engage with each other or not engage with each other. So yes, um, I do very much have a bit of an understanding of that. <laughs> so diversity and inclusion then, I mean, it is, it's a big topic. So where, where do we start? I mean, <laughs> if I were going to turn around and say, so sometimes I go, some of the, the daftest questions are the best questions. Yeah. What is diversity and inclusion? Yeah, that's the greatest question to ask to start. It's so easy when we think about organizations and the trend in diversity and inclusion as a topic right now. Um, it's very easy to get trapped into thinking of diversity on its own because many organizations are talking a lot about their policies in relation to hiring, for example, in relation to how many women they might have at certain levels in particular. Uh, so gender is a big, a big topic. And of course, the issue of representation that's driven uh, in the US largely by Black Lives Matter of those um, of a certain race. So um, those are really, really important things. But in actual fact, they aren't the only issues in relation to diversity and inclusion. And the definitions of diversity and inclusion are really important because if we don't have an understanding of the difference between the two, we don't fully embrace the whole concept of it. And so to answer or to describe what those two things are, essentially in terms of best practice, diversity tends to be more about what I mentioned, which is, uh, policies and processes to ensure rep rep representation of particular groups, uh, often marginalized groups of people or marginalized communities. Inclusion is where, well, both are very interesting, but inclusion is much more of a nuanced uh, understanding of belonging and how we as people in organizations engage with each other as, um, as leaders, as managers, as individuals, and regardless of where people may be from. And inclusion is also very much about the balance between belonging and accepting people's uniqueness. And you can't have uh, one or the other only. Uh, it, you have to have both. Because if you only have belonging, you have this situation where people are essentially uh, feeling like they may need to just conform. And you can't only have uniqueness because people may think that, well, you only value me for being different, but you don't really accept me. And so when I describe all of that, you see just how huge this topic of diversity and inclusion really is and what it really means. So I hope that answers your question. But yeah, um, <laughs> defining the two is critical. It, thank you. Yes, it does. It, it kind of breaks it into components that you can start and get your head around. And you realize that this isn't something... Um, <laughs> it's like, how do you eat an elephant? You know, not in one sitting sort of thing. So yes, yeah. it, it does... Um, 
And I think it also highlights some of the challenges very nicely. As you talked about, the belonging can make people feel like that they should conform. The uniqueness can make it feel like, um, uh, well, I'm going to phrase it a slightly different way, that sometimes maybe somebody feels like that I'm here for my uniqueness, but I'm just the performance, performing circus monkey. It's not genuine. Yes. Um, yes. Now, one of the things you mentioned Black Lives Matters a few years ago, there was the Me Too movement. And I remember um, certainly a couple of years ago, there was a, a little spell of conversations in courses that I was running where people were saying, you know, there is more of awareness now. In this case, it was around uh, female representation. So this was the gender issue. Um, and there was this thing of, you know, I, I want to be in the role because I can do the role, not because I become a DNI statistic, not because I'm a, uh, you can now tick a box. Um, and sometimes people were getting things, but un, uh, unwittingly, probably by the people that were hiring them, they were making them feel like they were that statistic. So, so um, what do you think leaders can do to make people genuinely feel that they are wanted rather than just part of a, a we need to be seen to be doing something? It's trendy. Oh, such a good question. <laughs> I mean, it's a really interesting one because when it comes to the representation part, there was a point in my life many years ago where I didn't believe in this concept of kind of quotas or making a concerted effort to hire from a particular group. But as I have become more experienced and also personally experienced certain situations or shared or heard from you know, colleagues or friends about their experiences, I really do believe that there is a need for us to do that because um, we have to force the issue. Uh, without doing that, we um, struggle uh, to find uh, teams that are diverse enough to have the kinds of conversations we need to have to bring about new ideas and new uh, innovations to drive growth, which is ultimately um, what we want to achieve aside from the obviously ethical part of the whole thing. Um, in terms of what leaders can do to be genuine, I mean, it's quite a question. At the end of the day, it cannot be seen to be an opportunistic action. Uh, and I feel that leaders really have to have a good understanding of the concepts of inclusion in general, what I had described a little bit earlier in terms of how we engage with others um, in the organization, how we engage with people and how we balance the belonging and the uniqueness part of it. It has to be genuine. I also, and this might be a bit controversial, think that those who are in that position of being hired into your use your example should also understand that they bring to the table something unique because of who they are so 
the job itself cannot be separated from the person completely. And sometimes it takes just that little bit of self-awareness as a worker bee or whatever you are to really understand that, you know, who, who you, being your whole self at work is part of what you can contribute. So to, to, so there is nothing wrong with feeling like with, with the concept, in my opinion, um, that what I bring to the table is something I bring to the table because I have, for example, if you use me, a mixed race background that's brought up in Asia, I'm a woman who has a gay brother, all those things help me to contribute to the business and do my work well. So I think you can't separate the two. Mm, good food for thought there, yes. And I think maybe that's the, that's the thing at times that we have been separating things that, um, you know, I can remember 20 years ago, there, there was very much, a, you left yourself in the car park and came into work and you were hired for your skill and, and everything else was, was for the weekend sort of thing. That's yes. massively now. But I do think that's it. Yes, it's, it's realizing that we talk about self-awareness. And I do think that is a key instrument in, in so many areas, not just in diversity and inclusion, but in so many areas. I often think for leaders, the, the biggest key is self-awareness. And then you can learn so many other things, but it is part of knowing uh, what's in the room. <laughs> And how you're filtering and processing things. Yes. Um, you know, often we, we may say something that can, so sometimes we say something that offends somebody and that wasn't the intention. But it is through self-awareness that you realise, do you know what, I communicated that badly or I didn't realise I thought like that, now I do. And now I can shift something. Um, yes. Well, let's look at... Um, uh, again, something else that's come up in conversations, um, which is, so I've had leaders turn around and say to me, you know, I need to have a conversation with somebody about inappropriate behavior. But I've tried to have the conversation with the person in the past, and their response has been, it's just who I am. And, and they've used the company's um, initiatives in diversity and inclusion as almost a shield to say, you can't, I, I, you know, if you're telling me to change, you're not being very, you know, diversity and inclusion orientated. And so it becomes a, a, a very difficult, painful conversation. Yeah. I could answer this question in like a whole day workshop. <laughs> But I'll, I'll try to give you the short answer. Each organization should and will have different ways of assessing its diversity or inclusion climate. And in addition, as companies or organizations develop their, their sort of way of thinking, what should really be happening is that each organization should have a very clear charter in terms of, uh, that are linked to 
essentially inclusive values and accompanying behaviors. And that, I think charge is a great word, actually, because it feels like something that it's, they're not, it's not a mandatory, it's more of a sort of ways that we live and work by, I would say. And you can sign it. Yeah, and it's only it's only with something like that that a team, an organization, or a group of individuals, or two people who may have a disagreement or a decision that needs to be made or something important to discuss, it's only with that that those things can truly kind of live and breathe in an inclusive way. So with regard to your example, I think it's a tough ask for the person who is using the excuse and the person who is, is having the difficult conversation because in, all, in most instances, probably the team or organization does not have that charter. And because they do not have that charter for how they behave with each other, you can't really call someone out. And ultimately, in that situation, if there was a charter, there would then be a point in the charter that would allow you to have the conversation where you would then be able to say, well, you know, I feel uncomfortable because someone has spoken to me in this way. Let's have a conversation with each other. Are we living up to the charter that we've agreed to? Is this part of who we are in terms of an inclusive organization? And to have a calm conversation on what is the evidence behind whether you have lived or not lived by that charter. So I think, um, yeah, that's my answer. It's a big one, um, but it really, for me, boils down to being really clear on your inclusive values and therefore your behaviors as a result of those values, what they need to be, which everyone should sign up for. Inevitably, as I said, most organizations don't really have this. And so it becomes a, a, a tricky, a really tricky conversation to have. And it becomes, frankly, unnecessary uh, and sad in a way that this happens. And, it, and it, you know, it does happen. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, it's painful for everybody. Um, but you, and then you mentioned, you know, there's the values and then there's the behaviors. And that I, I see so often is the key. It's the behaviors. So there's a lot of companies that have their values, but then it's left to everybody to interpret what is a behavior that is living that value rather than. And I do think sometimes getting people together to have that conversation of these are the values. So how do we behave that shows we're living these values is a very rich, rewarding experience that can actually be part of helping people connect yes absolutely in this area i see more progress or more examples than i do just in terms of kind of really delivering on dni as a whole where there are companies who do have some great values and accompanying behaviors and are quite well known for some of them. Um, Netflix is one, uh, Zappos would be another, uh, Pret-a-Manger. 
And, um, but there are many companies where they throw a few lovely words on the wall and uh, nobody really knows what they mean in reality. Um, and you also have companies that have kind of a few vague behaviors, but you're like, what do they really mean in terms of values? Mm, yeah. So you can't, you can't have one without the other. I, I, I feel like you, you, you've got to start with the values, but, um, but you must have the behaviors. Otherwise, it's very hard for people to understand what it really means for how uh, people engage with each other. And it sounds like that is certainly something that a leader can do for their team. So, you know, DNI we've established is huge. It's a huge area. And so whilst the company maybe is working it out, a leader doesn't have to wait until the company's maybe worked everything out because something like a team charter is totally feasible. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think leaders and managers have an important job to do in, you know, really making sure that they are thinking about this, uh, thinking about inclusivity, regardless of the processes that are taking place, you know, at certain levels, especially in huge organizations where things can take a very, very long time to roll out. And this is um, quite common. And I also feel that there are some really good, simple, basic things for leaders to think about. Uh, the first is really going back to some basic things around leadership, which is a sense of self-awareness in terms of how they are engaging with people, whether the behaviors are inclusive behaviors. And what I mean by that, some examples would be, you know, do they in meetings allow everybody to have a voice in the meeting? Does everybody get a say? Um, do they allow for different ways of communicating within a meeting? Perhaps if there are people that have very different social styles, there may be those who are less vocal than others. Um, for example, would they create mechanisms for voting um, in certain topics or certain decisions? I've heard of some great examples where right now, you know, now that we're working on Teams or Zoom and often on video, if there are sort of decisions to be made, there are some great examples of uh, leaders asking uh, various members of the team for their uh, vote or their perspective before the meeting starts to send in an individual email so that the leader can then read out each of those perspectives to the whole group. Uh, that allows people to be able to give their opinion um, openly without feeling like they may need to follow one or the other. And then it also shows that the leader is being inclusive in, in the sense of you know, reading out everybody's opinions to then be able to come to a decision together. So there are kind of ways and behaviors that leaders um, can think about to improve their engagement and be more inclusive. And the other thing to think about is um, to, to watch microaggressive behaviors. So microaggressive behaviors are things like uh, perhaps not giving team members important information about the business. Um, a, t a leader can often assume that new news that is happening at a senior level may not be of interest to the team, but actually 99% of the time they are. Uh, and so being as transparent as possible and giving that information is really part of inclusivity. Other basic things like just not interrupting people when they're trying to speak, especially people of a more 
analytical social style. Uh, it's so common and uh, I do it. I have to watch myself. Uh, I'm less uh, likely to feel bad if I'm talking to an expressive, so that's good. <laughs> but uh, I do need to be, to, you know, personally, I have to work on, on that. Um, so self-awareness is really big. And I think the second part, I think, in terms of what leaders can really uh, do uh, to help themselves in this area is understand unconscious biases. There is some amazing uh, training um, and um, articles available online. It's not difficult to find. And it's really important to understand where your biases are. I myself have done a few different uh, trainings and I remember doing a test about a year ago where I, you know, it was a really simple test, but I got a pretty terrible score, uh, which basically made me think I better go and start to learn a little bit more about all of this and understand where my biases are. And there is also a great um, website uh, that Harvard have built. It's actually, um, it's actually a, a research uh, that they're doing on implicit biases. And you can go in there and choose from several tests uh, on your, uh, to, to understand where your biases are. Um, and I've done both the, the gender one and the LGBTQ plus one. And it will basically tell you where you sit amongst the general population in terms of uh, whether you're biased towards sort of one group or another. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. And I think just by doing it, you're going to uh, gain a, a sense of self-awareness and start to ask yourselves important questions. So that's, that's definitely another thing. And then I think the third is around really working hard to actively challenge your own personal stereotypes. Everybody has a stereotype or has stereotypes in their minds of the people that we manage or the people that we deal with in a day-to-day -day basis. And one has to actively challenge them as one sees them in their mind. And that's not easy, but an example would be if you were to interview somebody or if you were to performance manage a particular person, if in any way you are feeling uncomfortable in the conversation, it is more than likely that you, your unconscious biases or your stereotypes are starting to kick in. So stop and think and give yourself time to assess that. And after the meeting, make sure that you are listing down the evidence that makes you feel that certain way so that you can assess just how much of it is fact uh, versus uh, an unconscious bias or a stereotype. And uh, it sounds so simple, but quite hard to do, and none, not, not many of us do do it, but I think those are things that are absolutely workable regardless of what is happening at the sort of organizational level. So that's a, there's some really good points there in terms of how you can grow and develop so that you, um, irrespective of what anybody else is doing, you're, and as leaders, we often say you need to walk the talk. So, you know, rather than waiting for somebody to, to do all of this, you're becoming more aware of where are you biased? Where are you? And we do, we all have biases. And it's really looking at the cost of those, in some cases, looking at the cost of the bias. Yes. And you talk about the evidence and the fact um, and taking the opportunity to write those down.
Um, and I know from either myself doing this or from working with others, sometimes we kind of realize we've written something down as if it was a fact, but it's actually also still an interpretation. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, it is just becoming more aware of, of those things and how they play out in, in each conversation. And not all conversations are equal. You know, but when when you've got a bias and it's a powerful, it's an important conversation, that bias can have a way bigger impact than you'd ever thought. Yes. Yes. And I think one thing I would say is that in my experience, it does vary um, around the world in terms of how leaders feel about this particular topic or how important it might be to them. Um, I hope you can see that I truly believe that not just from an ethical perspective, but from a business perspective, it is important everywhere to think about things this way, because ultimately there is research that shows that when people feel they can bring their whole selves to work, you know, they can be more productive. They are more productive and are more likely to help the, the company um, into driving growth and driving new business. So, it's imperative regardless of uh, what I normally see or hear as excuses, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, legal issues or challenges, you know, uh, in certain markets, of course, you have to be sensitive to that, but that doesn't stop uh, human beings from behaving in an inclusive way. So you talked about the fact that people bring their whole selves to work. And I do think that is very important because if the more of us that can show up, we've got we to gotta be honest here. You know, it's the good, the bad and the ugly. Or <laughs> it, is, it is what's great about us, but also what will show up are our biases. So if we can bring more of ourselves to work and there is a space in which we can have powerful conversations then we can learn about ourselves and go, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, okay, so I'm still bringing myself to work, but I'm bringing a, uh, a more aware version of myself, a more improved version of myself. Whereas if I don't bring myself to work, if I can't be, if I can't be me and I can't be vulnerable, then I'm not going to learn and grow in the same way because I'll put some of my good stuff in a box but I'll also put some of my biases in a box. Yeah. It'll still, unconsciously, all of this is still there, still seeping out. So what would you say um, are some of the myths that are around regarding, some of the common myths surrounding diversity and inclusion? <sighs> Love this one. I would say... Diversity and inclusion are the same thing. <laughs> and we talked about the challenge of making sure we define um, what those two words mean. And of course, when you talk about it in sort of higher levels, at certain levels, you can use them interchangeably, but you must really understand the difference between the two. They're not the same thing. Um, another myth is that diversity isn't an issue in some countries. And uh, often when we're looking at uh, rolling out plans or helping to educate across regions or markets, 
that is feedback that we get, and that is definitely a myth. Legal problems prohibit us from embracing diversity and inclusion. I think when we think about inclusion, as we've mentioned before, which is more about how we engage with other people, then the legal challenges in markets should not be uh, prohibitive to us, to leaders being uh, better leaders, basically, better inclusive leaders. Of course, being sensitive to kind of legal challenges as well. Another big one for this year is that diversity is about race. Uh, it is only one part of diversity, not the, the whole story. And sadly, we also hear things like disability can hold us or our teams back. And uh, I think that is a very outdated, but unfortunately, <laughs> something that still here, uh, we still hear re um, quite regularly. It's hard for people to understand that uh, people with disabilities of all kinds um, are actually uh, extremely useful and helpful in our workforce. And another one which touches on some of these issues that I talked about with regard to diversity uh, as uh, an inclusion as being about representation is the myth that if we are diverse in numbers, we don't have a problem with diversity and inclusion. That is clearly not the case. If you uh, have lots of different people in certain uh, or, that are represented it doesn't necessarily mean that you are an inclusive organization. I think I talked earlier about the, you know, the belonging and the uniqueness. You've got to have a balance between the two and you also have to think about your inclusive behavior. So just because you've got some representation does not mean that you have a problem. There are also challenges where, of course, uh, there are organizations who say, well, yes, you know, we've got 50% women in the workforce, but you actually find that at a more senior level, they've got, you know, none or five. So it, it's, um, you know, defining diversity is also a, an issue <laughs> when it comes to representation. And the other one, which is one of my favorite topics, is that DNI is a human resources responsibility. And uh, this is something that is definitely a myth. It is the responsibility of everybody in an organization to be uh, inclusive in their behaviors and to think about the importance of diversity and inclusion and act upon um, the right values and behaviors in relation to any diversity and inclusion charter. It is not just the responsibility of human resources. And in many organizations, it is not at all the human resources responsibility. In fact, it is often separated from human resources because the actual work and responsibility is quite different from traditional human resources. And so uh, in actual fact, the, from what I can see, there are some pockets of success where DNI uh, resource or capability sits separate to human resources. Plenty of myths there. There are, yeah, there are a lot of myths there. So as, a, as an individual then, I mean, I'm not even going to do this as a leader, as an individual, if I wanted to get better at this, um, then 
where could I where could I go to learn more to expand my horizons on the subject? You mentioned Harvard have got a test, so I'll include a link to that um, website in the yes. transcript to this podcast. Are there any other good sources um, or things that you think somebody could start and do that's going to help them? not get so overwhelmed with this, but feel like they've got like that bite-sized bit of making some progress. Yes. So there's a lot online, <laughs> which is great. Um, but I would say a great resource would be the Harvard Business Review. There are some fantastic articles uh, that they come up with regularly across the whole spectrum of the challenges that organizations face in diversity and inclusion. So definitely go in there and take a look at the various surveys and articles that are there that will keep any normal person busy. Um, and I think, um, so I think that's a good starting point. There are also some great books, uh, a personal favorite of mine uh, in relation specifically to the LGBTQ plus uh, challenge is a book by um, John Brown, who was the old CEO of BP. And he wrote a book about oof, eight, nine years ago called The Glass Closet. And um, it was, it's pretty uh, pioneering uh, to have a CEO of such a major company uh, write about his experiences and also what companies can do in this area. So that's definitely worth a read if it is of interest to you. And, and even if the LGBTQ plus pillar isn't of, an in, of interest, what it does do is help you understand some of the kind of border challenges that organizations generally have anyway. So I think it's just a great starting point in terms of understanding uh, these uh, challenges in, in companies. In terms of other things that uh, in the individual can do, I think that, um, you know, I can speak from personal experience, you know, in the grassroots work that I've been doing, it, it really has started with a personal motivator. It has been because my brother is gay and therefore as an ally of the gay community, I've become heavily involved in driving support for that group, but also in uh, driving better allyship across the organization. And so, you know, having a personal motivator obviously helps. Um, and if, if, if there is something that, you know, really matters to you, then don't give up in, um, in, in talking to people in the organization, in seeking sponsorship uh, from uh, senior stakeholders, that, that really helps. And, uh, it, and also, um, you, know, you know, create that community of, 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 of people around you that would be willing to support um, along the way. And um, be prepared to educate. That's what I would say, because this is something that is still quite new. Mm -hmm. I think it will be new for a long time. As you can see, the topic is so huge that really there's a lot to, a lot for everybody to learn. But the challenge and fighting the good fight is a wonderful thing when you can, you know, to get involved in and and we have seen you know I have seen personally seen great success in the employee resource group that you know I've been involved in in Hong Kong in driving policy change but it has taken hard work in educating stakeholders and and, and educating human resources 
So don't be surprised by the fact that you may, you may need to do that. Uh, and it is part of the good fight. It is part of the, the you know, the, in a way that is uh, the positive thing about this. Uh, be prepared to, to, to do it and be prepared to, um, and, and, and be open to, to, to the challenges. And I think also I accept that as you're doing this, you're going to get some things right. You're going to, with the best of intention, you're going to get some things wrong. Be yes. moving forward. <laughs> yes. And I think sometimes so, on, I think on subjects like this, occasionally we can be so afraid of what happens if I make a mistake, put my foot in it, get this wrong. So maybe sometimes it's better not to do anything rather than 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 fail and I think that's often the case in a lot of things where we're afraid to go for what we want because what happens if I fail but I think on something like this I think sometimes people go I don't know quite where to start and I don't want to uh, yeah I just don't want to put my foot in it I would say to I would say to that to to not to not be afraid, <laughs> that sounds very powerful, but I think to not underplay the importance of allyship. Mm -hmm. What I have found and through experience is that, and I'll use the example again of the sort of LGBTQ plus work that, that I've been doing, people in those communities have reached out and spoken to me and said, we would never have been able to do this alone. If it hadn't been for you as an ally supporting us all the way, um, it would never have it would have never have happened. So for every you know kind of hesitation that you have, think about that one potential person that you could impact and change their life, you know, or do something that would mean so much to them more than we could probably imagine. So, yeah, I would say it, it is sometimes a bit frightening, but, the, but don't underplay the power that you have as a human being. I think that is a worthy reminder that it, we, we needn't forget that just that small thing could have a big difference. Yeah. Yes. So... What would you say would be one of your key realizations on your leadership journey? What would you say has been a really pivotal thing that's helped you to become the leader that you are today? I am constantly learning and almost every day I have realization moments. So it's a very hard question to ask. And 2020 has been such a transformative year for everybody, I think, because of all these forces that are going on at the same time, this sort of, I always see it as this battle between dark and light going on, you know, mm -hmm. the one minute we have, you know, a vaccine for COVID, the next minute we have, you know, a tier four lockdown for everyone in the UK and it's, you know, all the flights are banned coming to Hong Kong. So it feels like this, you know, this big sort of challenge. And I feel like that is, as for me as a person, as a leader, it's, it's 
it is really making me feel part of this whole transformation of the world. I'm thinking about re- these things every day. But I think if I look back to my biggest realization was about 10 years ago when I was managing a team. I was very new and, and newly promoted. And I was going through a leadership course at the time. And I was really excited about this leadership course. And every time I would go away on this course, I would then come back and try to execute the things that I had learned in that course. And um, as part of that course, I also received a 360 feedback. It was the most in-depth 360 I'd ever received in my career up until that point. And I remember going back to the training with my other colleagues that were in the training and the 360s were in front of us and all of us had a discussion about the 360 and what feedback we received and everybody was like, oh, you know, I'm a great boss and I take them out for a gin and tonic and I'm loved and all this stuff. And then when it came to mine, I was pretty tearful because basically I was considered a horrible boss uh, that had um, no time for other people's opinions, that had, um, uh, I think one, one phrase was, it's her way or the, or the highway. Uh, and so I was really gutted because it was not the person that I thought I was. I felt um, really sad because I was so passionate as well about Um, I was really just discovering diversity and inclusion, but I was really passionate about being an inclusive leader and really working hard on my behaviors. But somehow that wasn't translating into how my team had felt. So it was a massive realization because I guess I just had not really stopped to think and be more self-aware and that allowed me to be self-aware but it also allowed me to think about feedback and constructive feedback and how we engage with people um, in general and over the last you know since then I've been working really really hard on my self-awareness And as you can see, hugely involved in a lot of diversity and inclusion efforts. So since then, my career has progressed significantly. And I've done some amazing work with amazing people on the other side of the world, including working on values and behavior charters that the teams that I've left behind still use to this day. Um, And it makes me really, really proud to see that work and to see how um, everybody is living up to those standards. And it's just, yeah, it's a, that's my story, really. I'm not perfect. I have my challenges um, that I'm always working on. I have to constantly uh, challenge my own stereotypes, um, which is, you know, what I was discussing earlier, but, but certainly the self-awareness has increased and I'm just super excited about the future. I really think that despite all the challenges this year um, that we have all been living through, 
what will come through will be really positive things. And we will probably look back on 2020 and be eternally grateful for what it brought to us. I, I think you're right. I often say that when there's this level of um, disruption, chaos, devastation, transformation, that um, it, it is disorientating to come through something as intense as, as we've had this year. But we will look back and go, wow, we needed, we needed that because we wouldn't be where we are today otherwise. Maybe that's just my eternal optimist that kind of wants to see the brighter side of, of so much, <laughs> for want of a word, crap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I, uh, I love the way you talk about the fact that, you know, you've, you've got teams that are still using the values and behavior the charters the things you've done with them in other words it is sort of realizing the impact that we have that self-awareness is key because we have an impact as a leader when we're in the room that maybe we weren't aware of the fact that we're having and we leave legacies sometimes we like to think we leave really lovely legacies but sometimes we don't leave the best the best smell in the room um, yeah. And part of that leadership growth is about going, well, you know what, I've, I want to I leave a better legacy. I want to I do more with my time on this planet. For sure, for sure. And that's where that wonderful book which you introduced to me, The Meaning Revolution, you know, really comes into play. None of us want, you know, a blank gravestone. We, we, wanna, we want to, 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 to drive, we want to have left something meaningful in the world yeah yes emily it has been a pleasure to chat with you i have i've learned more about diversity and inclusion so my understanding of it has expanded um i reckon that we could I, there's more questions i could ask you we could talk about this for for <laughs> you said you could do a one-day workshop just on one of the answers <laughs> um, so we could talk about this for longer but i'm going to turn around and say thank you so so much it's been thank you so much thank you such a pleasure thank you so i hope you all got as much out of this uh, as i have in terms of uh, your provoking some thoughts maybe on what you can do regarding diversity and inclusion what you can do it doesn't necessarily matter what your organization is doing but maybe giving you some food for thought on what you can do going forwards and until next time Go and be the difference in leadership. Bye.